Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. This week, as we continue to study the Apostles' Creed, we're up to the line that is about, I believe in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. As we begin to discuss what it means to confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, I also want us to remember two really important things that we've talked about in the last couple weeks. The first is what I talked about last week, where we talked about the exclusionary nature of the Apostles' Creed. Most of the time, I want you to remember it as inclusionary, that we gather people in with these words and nurture them in their faith. But the exclusion is for each of us to look inward, to make sure that we are actually listening to the Spirit of God, the authentic voice of the Spirit of God in, our, in us, and not listening to the idols, to the idols of fear and shame, doubt, blame, and regret, to stop believing in them and start believing in the God who, as we've talked about before, has revealed God's self. Don't ever forget the things that God has consistently said about who God is, is that God is a God who is about faith, hope, love, steadfast love, the kind of steadfast love that is slow to anger, abounding in mercy and justice, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, and sacrifice. These are the things that God has always been, has always been revealing. And so within us, we look to one set of ideas that spur us on and another that God is not. The false gods of fear and shame, doubt, blame, and regret. In many ways, think of it like this. I once had a colleague who was engaged in the mental health profession, and she talked about a way to treat people with schizophrenia. You know how schizophrenia works. For many of those who have schizophrenia, schizophrenia is this disorder where you will hear voices. Not all the time, but a lot of times this is common for schizophrenics. Multiple voices in their heads. Now, you can spend time with a schizophrenic trying to treat them in that and constantly convince them that the voices are not real. Or, as she would suggest, what you do instead is you say to the schizophrenic, what's that voice saying? What's it saying? Do you want to do what it does? Do you want to do what it says? You have a choice to listen to that voice or not. Now, most of us are not schizophrenics, but there are different voices in our heads. Some of them are the false gods of fear and shame, doubt, blame, and regret. It's not that those things are bad. Always. They have a place in our lives, the fear, the shame, the doubt, blame, and regret. The difference is when we start serving them as our God. And so, much like treating a schizophrenic, listen to those voices in your head and say to yourself, what are they saying? Okay, I've heard you. Do I want to follow your advice or not? I choose a different way. If you can do that, if you can turn off the voices of the false gods, then that voice inside that speaks of steadfast love, of mercy and justice, of compassion and empathy, of self-sacrifice, this is the Holy Spirit. One other part that I have spoken of before that I don't want you to forget, though, is the idea of the bright gold line. Remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
Again, we didn't talk about that as trying to push people away from our faith. We talked about that as a way for Jesus to comfort those who follow him. And as if we're driving down the street, driving down the road, the highway at night, and it's dark and it's foggy and you can't see which way to go, you follow a line, the bright gold line that tells you where the edge of the road is so that you can keep going forward. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's our bright gold line. That bright gold line has sent a spirit, a spirit that has been revealing God's self to us for thousands of years, a God of faith, hope, love, steadfast love, who is slow to anger, merciful, compassionate, empathetic, and calls us to sacrifice. That Holy Spirit is within us. As I read in John this morning, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit there, Jesus says, I will send to you as I ascend into heaven so that you will not be alone. I will send you, as it says in John, an advocate, the one who will go before you into places that you should be afraid of, but give you courage and bravery. When we think of that spirit, though, don't think of just Jesus sending it as if it's a New Testament thing. No, the Spirit of God has been with us since the beginning, literally in Genesis. Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit hovered over the chaotic waters, and as God spoke and created order out of that chaos, it was the Spirit that was there. When God breathed the breath of life into Adam, one of the ways we understand the Spirit is either as wind or breath. So the Spirit of God was blown into Adam. In Ezekiel, when Ezekiel has a, pro a prophecy about dry bones rising from the dead and God breathing life into him, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus. In the Psalms, it's written, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In Psalm 51, it says, do not take your spirit from me. In other words, in all these experiences throughout all of Scripture, the idea is that the Spirit is how God is present to us all the time. There was a unique moment in history when Jesus was here, incarnate on earth, but otherwise it has always been and will always be the Spirit is how we connect with God on this planet. So it is when Jacob wrestled a man in the night, and that's all the Bible says, he wrestled a man in the night, and by the next morning, he walked away with a new name called Israel. No one's ever figured out who that man was. But he was definitely guided by the Spirit. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, and they looked inside, and there was a fourth person there. That person had to have been part of the Spirit. Even in Passover, when God told the Israelites to put blood across their doorposts, and that this God would pass by and protect them. That had to have been the Spirit. The Spirit has never not been with us. So as we talk about the Spirit in those terms, that the Spirit has been with us always, then remember what it means. What does it mean to each of us? When we confess that the Holy Spirit is with us, first of all, remember it means you are never alone. 
in a time of great isolation when we are trying to do all kinds of things to figure out how to stay connected and finding out just how terribly and beautifully connected we are and how we long for it when it's gone. It's the Holy Spirit that says, Emmanuel, I am with you. There is nowhere you can go where my presence will not be with you. Remember that old poem? The folklore of it says that it was written on a wall in a concentration camp during World War II. We have no idea if that's true, but it is in our imagination a perfect setting for it. It goes, I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when there's no one there. I believe in God, even when he is silent. The promise of the Holy Spirit is that even when you are not experiencing God's presence, the presence is with you. To confess the Holy Spirit also means that you are never powerless, ever. Even when it seems like everything that you have control over is taken away from you, you're not. That's what Jesus is saying in John when he talks to his disciples about this advocate. The the whole context is that Jesus is going to send them out into a world, and Jesus assumes that the world will be a hostile place, that they will be confronted over and over again with the God of fear and doubt, blame and regret. And instead, what he says is, I will send a spirit before you that will give you words, that will give you bravery, that will give you courage. You are never powerless because the Spirit of God is always before you. We don't have to be reckless with our bravery. We don't have to be reckless with, our, with the experience of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we also don't have to go unassured. There is always something we can do. And you know, probably the most profound thing I can give you this morning, what it means to confess that the Holy Spirit is always with us, that presence of God is always with us, it's that story in the, right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It's literally chapter 2. It's one of the first things Mark tells us about Jesus' ministry. Already, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is already creating a following because he's known as someone who can teach and preach and heal. And so he goes into a home. And the crowds gather into the house, and they gather around the house, everybody trying to get a piece of Jesus. And then there are four men who have brought another man who was paralyzed with them to bring healing. And of course, they're at the edge of the crowd. They can't get in. They can't make it to Jesus. And so what do they do? They climb the roof. They carry that paralyzed man up on the roof, and they literally tear a hole in the roof of that house and lower the man to Jesus. I'm sure many of you have heard that phrase. You know, you say that somebody would give you the shirt off their back. That's a great phrase, but I've been to Walmart, and I know that shirts are not that expensive. Who would you tear the roof off a house for? That is the kind of thing that the Holy Spirit gives you, that you're not alone. We have no idea if this man who was paralyzed was a friend, a family member. It just says that four men brought a paralyzed man but he's not alone, and they are not powerless. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he is lowered to Jesus, and he makes him well. Having the Holy Spirit means something important to our lives. It means that every one of us is given a ministry. Every one of us is given a ministry 
to be in the world as a witness and to be a witness that is defined by the Spirit of God to help others, to care the way Christ cared about others. We live in days now where we've created a whole new category called essential workers. That phrase didn't even exist a couple weeks ago. But for all our people who are braving their own health to be in places to give medical help, social workers who continue to work on, those who are volunteering at food pantries and in the community, even those who are stocking shelves to make sure that you have enough in your own homes, these essential people are tearing back roofs. It's not just giving the shirt off their back. They are putting themselves at risk who would you tear a roof off for? A family member, a friend, somebody sitting right next to you in your home right now? How about a widow or an orphan or even a stranger? We have people in our community that are doing that right now. When Jesus prepared his, his disciples to go out into the world, you know, he, he talked to them as if the world was going to be a hostile place, that they were going to have the Holy Spirit with them. And we can continue to read those words that way, but don't forget, it's been 2,000 years and the Holy Spirit has not been inactive that whole time. How do you look at the people around you who are taking on their own risk to take care for others, even strangers, and not realize that the Holy Spirit has gone from a place where Jesus had to assume that the whole world would be hostile to a world now where you will find people, whether they confess Christ or not, who believe in the very things Jesus cared about, the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. If there's one thing I am certain of this morning, it is that Jesus is under no obligation to work only in those who know his name. The Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, the Redeemer, and now the Sustainer in the Holy Spirit is under no obligation to work only in those who call on His name. Instead, God moves in all of us, everywhere. So you are not alone, you are not powerless, and if you're feeling that way, then consider what roof would you pull off and for who? Ministry begins when we recognize that we live in the reception of a God within us who is about faith and hope and love, steadfast love, mercy and justice, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, and sacrifice. We confess the Holy Spirit and that means that there is not a corner of our lives or our world where God is not making things new. I know in these times, and I'll close with this thought, I know in these times, because I've seen it and people have asked me more and more the last couple of weeks, what is God doing in our world right now? What is he doing with this pandemic? You know, that happens every single time. There's a, a major thing. People look to God, look to the heavens and say, <clears throat> what is happening, and there is always somebody who will be happy to tell you what they think God is doing. In other words, what they're doing is they're trying to play prophet, like Ezekiel and Isaiah and John the Baptist. 
to say that they've been given a special message from God, that they know the meaning of these moments. And certainly it is to prophets and to historians who get to tell the meaning of these things. But also know this. John Calvin, in our own tradition, didn't believe prophecy existed anymore. He said that Jesus Christ had fully revealed everything we needed to know, and so prophecy had come to an end. He didn't ask us to be prophets. What we're asked to be is priests. The priesthood of all believers, that idea that we are all given a ministry. Prophets weren't the only ones that could tell the truth. They were the ones who were specially chosen by God to give a new truth, but they were not the only ones who knew truth. Everyone is given a ministry because everyone has the Holy Spirit. So the idea is to be a priest. And if you still want to know the meaning, because of course you do, and you're still wondering who might the real prophets be, here's my advice to you this morning on that. First of all, if you're looking for prophets, look for those who are passionate. Passionate at challenging the system. That's what they all did, from John the Baptist to Ezekiel and Isaiah and everyone else, Moses and Elijah. They looked at the world and knew it was temporary and knew that it needed to be redeemed, it needed to change. And they passionately spoke to the people about always reforming the world to look more like the kingdom of God. So, if you're looking for a prophet and somebody claims to be a prophet, but what they're telling you is that they want to protect the status quo of the world the way they know it, they're not a prophet. Also, prophets get burnt faces. Moses went up Mount Sinai, and when he came down, he had to put a veil over his face because he glowed with all this holiness. Now, I realize that's a good thing, but I bet every prophet, whoever was actually called by God to be a prophet, would tell you that also means they got burnt. Because it's not possible to be a human being and to constantly be the one who God inhabits and gives all the passion God has for us and not first be filled with love, but then righteousness, righteous indignation, and eventually even anger. You read those prophets. That's what becomes of us when we try and take on the message of God as prophets. They got burnt it's hard and difficult, and there's never been a prophet that doesn't lament being a prophet. So if you meet a prophet that goes, I'm a prophet, yay, you haven't met a prophet. It's hard to be a prophet. You get burnt. And by the way, they also smelled bad. Yeah. Prophets are the ones who end up spending time with the people Jesus or God would have said matter the most to God, the people that everyone else is ignoring the poor, the people who have to choose between their rent and paying the water bill, the people who can't have the luxuries everyone else has. That's who the prophets spent their time with. So if you meet somebody who seems to be a prophet, but they own a big house, or they own a cable network, or they have a TV show where all their furniture is covered in gold, and they have great big cotton candy hair and the perfect suits, and they say to be a prophet, they're not a prophet. Their lives are too easy. It doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. We all are given a ministry by God, but they are not more 
They're not saying something new. Instead, what I ask you to do, my real advice here is, is when somebody says that they'd be a prophet, reverse engineer how this works. We know that God is the one who is about faith and hope and love, steadfast love, slow to anger, mercy, justice, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, and sacrifice. And we know that the people of God carry that witness into the world. So reverse engineer it. Look at the people in the world, the ones who are tearing back roofs to take care of those in need, much the way Jesus would have done, or the people who sit in fancy houses, on television, in safe places, separate from those who are in need. Which group can tell you what the meaning of this is? None of them are prophets. But if you want to hear about which ones are truly being the priests, reverse engineer it. Look at them. Ask them what they think God is up to in this. We confess the Holy Spirit so that we are not alone, that we are not powerless, and that so we are given a ministry that truly reflects Christ. That is what it means to confess those words. And in these times, remember that, especially when you're trying to figure out what any of this means. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you at this time of deep concern to bestow your mercy upon all the inhabitants of your vulnerable world, which is now so seriously afflicted. Almighty God, who sustains the living with loving kindness, supports the fallen and heals the sick, grant consolation to the bereaved families and send a speedy and complete recovery to all who remain ill, just as the prophet Jeremiah declared, for I will restore health unto you and I will heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Bless with strength those who are suffering. Bless with resilience those in isolation. Bless with hope those who are despondent. Bless with wisdom all those who seek a cure. And bless with compassion all those who offer comfort. Bless our leaders. Give them and their advisors knowledge and foresight to act with wisdom and sincerity for the well-being of all whom they serve. Bless the doctors and the nurses, the healthcare professionals, all who remain essential, the social workers, the teachers, those who stock food and care for the poor, who tirelessly seek to heal and help those afflicted while in so doing put themselves at risk. Open our hearts in prayer and our hands in generosity so that the distances are bridged through compassion and kindness. Almighty God of healing and hope, at this time of heightened global awareness of our mutual independence, enable all of your humankind to appreciate the strength that comes from being united in your spirit of steadfast love. As we look to the future, may you endow all people with the capacity to build and sustain societies of unity, harmony, and peace. O oh Lord, our rock and salvation, lead us from despair into hope, from fear to trust, from the dead and the dying to the celebration of life. We ask for all this in the words that Jesus taught us to pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands, and if he needs anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And so may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and go in peace.